Hey, wasn't that great worship this morning? Amen? That was good. Hey, isn't this great? I love gathering as an entire church family, don't you? All right, three of you. That's, that's awesome, man. Yes. I feel like I'm on the, uh, I'm going solo here. Uh, I know it's a little early, but hey, we're going to have burgers, dogs. We're going to have food for you. Uh, we've got a team that's been working on that for a while. So stay after service, okay? It's going to be a great time to hang out. All right, I want to encourage you to pull out your notes. Special message, message today. Your Christian character. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me something, okay? I want you to throw it out. Very few times do I tell you to interrupt the sermon, but here's your opportunity to be really loud, to be vocal, and to interrupt. Come on. What fuels your spiritual growth? Give me something. A few people. Huh? What was that? This is not working. Trials. Good job, Brad. Everyone give it up for Brad. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. I heard somebody over here. Me. Thank you. Everyone give it up. Everyone. I love it, Mike. All right. Who else? Huh? Confession. Community. Pain. What else? The Bible. Having your beliefs challenged. That's good. Ooh, I want to go. I want to go back to that. That's good. Prayer. Okay. What else? Worshiping. Truth. What was this? Continuous dedication. Dedication to God. What else fuels your spiritual growth? Anything else? Giving. It was mentioned like thirtieth. Like where is everybody? Okay. Listen. Let's be real this morning, okay? Let's be really honest. So there's a lot of things that fuel our spiritual growth. Spiritual disciplines, Bible engagement, right? Prayer, fasting, community groups, uh, commitment to corporate worship, all these things, serving, using your God-given gifts. All of these commitments are so foundational for your spiritual growth. Let me give you a big one. The spiritual discipline of giving. Let me say you're welcome in advance before I talk about the topic of the message, okay? Now listen, <clears throat> if you hear anyone leave today and they're griping and they're complaining and they're negative about, can you believe Pastor Elijah, he's talking about tithing and giving, you just mark it in your mental box, they don't give, okay? Straight up. People who leave here today, if they complain to you, they don't give, all right? Now, no one's going to complain about the sermon. All right, this is good. Just want to make sure we cover all the ground rules this morning, all right? No, no, be, being for real. Um, did you know that 25% of all Jesus' teaching are on money, wealth, possessions, and stewardship? One-fourth of his recorded teachings in the Bible is on the topic of money. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels speak of money. 
most of the parables, these are earthly stories that pack a very strong, powerful spiritual punch. Most of the parables are fiscally and financially related to how we spend our money. Jesus talks about money two times as often as faith and prayer. Jesus talks more about money, check this out. He talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. Now why are we talking about money? Here's another, another like ground rule, just kind of like side note. Because money's a big deal in the eyes of Jesus. And this is why we're talking about it. You know, a lot of pastors, they just don't want to hit on certain topics. And I get that, right? You know, um, I understand that. But, but, but as a pastor, my calling, my job is to, number one, live out the scriptures. Not in a perfect way. Believe me, if we're going to get very real. I could be very real with you about my habits, my hurts, my hang-ups. We all got them, right? But I have no issue standing here today and talking about the topic of money because I'm a giver, because I believe in tithing. Uh, from the moment me and Candace got married, we made a decision that we were going to tithe and we were going to be faithful to give to God all that he's given to us. And God has been so faithful over the years. And so there, this is not, I, I know some, some topics, you know, people kind of get all bent out of shape on. You shouldn't. You shouldn't get bent out of shape on it. Jesus talks about it. So we're going to talk about it. Giving is a spiritual discipline. As much as growing in Bible knowledge, growing in service, growing in a prayer life. You know, one way you show your love to God is by giving back some of what he has given you. You know, someone said this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. I think it's so true. You can't truly love someone if you're not willing to give to that person. Paul David Tripp said God's grace is not only forgiving, it's transforming. Not only for your justification, but your sanctification as well. Justification, God's grace does this transformative work spiritually. The moment you place faith in Christ, at that very moment, you're justified. You are declared righteous. You're no longer seen as an enemy, you're seen as a friend. You're, you're no longer seen as far away from God, now you're a part of God's family. The more record of Jesus, think about this for a second, the more record of Jesus, his righteousness is applied to you. So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' record. And his record is perfect. Amen? That's good, that's good to know. But God's grace doesn't just justify us. It sanctifies us. That means it sets us apart. It does this daily refining work in our lives. God sets us apart so that he can work his grace into our lives and we could be set apart. We could be, uh, we could be molded and shaped into the image of Christ. That's the goal. So I want to share some giving principles with you from the scriptures. Number one, giving, write this down, giving is recognition that everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. Psalm 24.1 the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. 
What belongs to God? The earth. The entire earth. Everything on the earth, in the earth. Don't get it twisted. God owns everything. If he owns the earth, he owns the people in the earth. He owns the people's stuff in the earth. God owns everything. We are just stewards. We're managing someone else's resources. We're overseeing someone else's possessions and property. Everything we have from God is on loan to us. I'm telling you, if you can start thinking like this, oh, you know what? God's the owner, I'm not. I'm just managing, I'm, I'm overseeing, I, I'm just you know, taking care of God's stuff. If you can see your stuff, your life, your marriage, everything, your kids, your future, your assets, everything, like, you know what, this belongs to God, that will radically change your life in so many different ways because when, we, when you give, you're not giving your money, you're giving God's money. When you're investing in someone's life, you're, you're just being a conduit, right? A channel of God's blessing. God's pouring into your life so you can pour into their life. You know, when God deposits his blessings and his goodness in all of our lives, he doesn't give up ownership. He doesn't give and then, you know, just like back off or release. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It doesn't say it comes from self. It says it comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So when it comes to the scriptures, the goal is to be like Christ. The goal is to be like God, to be a giver and not a taker. Why are people not generous? Why do people not give? I think there's several reasons. I think people are just not happy. They don't have the joy of the Lord in their life. And so because they're not happy, they're, they're searching for security, they're searching for significance, they're searching for, you know, they're chasing the dollar, thinking the dollar's gonna really satisfy them. A lot of people are empty inside. There's, there's, a, there's a spiritual hollowness, there's, there's a void that only Christ can fill. But I think for a lot of people, even for Christians, why do Christians not give? Because we, we know the stats. I mean, the average Christian gives like, you know, two point percent of their income. Why do they not give more? I think there's a lot of factors. But I think, number one, we have a twisted view of ownership. People don't give because they believe deep down inside it's theirs. I mean, let's just, let's just cut it like it is. We don't give because it's mine. I earned it. I worked for it. You know, my education, you know, my career choice, my grinding, my tenacity, my promotion, it's mine. And God's like, no, it's not yours. I, I really was tempted to, to, to chase this theme throughout the Old Testament because you see it time and time and time and time again with the nation of Israel. God was so very clear from the very beginning, it, it, is, it is I who, who gives you the blessings. I'm the one who stirs within you uh, these desires. I'm the one who gives you the skill sets. I'm the one who gives you um, the talents um, to do what you're doing. You know, God owns it all. I love the, the Dutch statesman, Abraham Kuyper. He once said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. 
So true. The earth belongs to God. Your life belongs to him. He owns it all. And so we need to live in such a way where we reflect his ownership in our lives. Here's point number two. Giving tests my trust in God. Giving tests my trust in God. You can boil down giving to this. Giving is a matter of trust. That's what it is. You know, most people don't want to give because they don't want to let go of power and control. And the question is, who do you trust more with your money? Do you trust the sovereign, awesome God of the universe, or do you trust your finite, puny self? I mean, I want to trust God with my resources. If I'm trusting God with my salvation, why can't I trust him with my pocketbook? Why can't I trust God with the cards, with, with, with the transactions, with, with the portfolios? You know, if you keep 90% and you give away 10, it will be more than keeping all 100%. From our perspective, it doesn't make sense. How can that be? But with God's divine mathematics, it makes perfect sense every time. 90 with God is more than 100% without God. If you say giving 10% is nuts, that's way too much. Then you're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in yourself. You see yourself as owner. The question should not be, how much of my money should I give to God? The question should be, how much of my money should I keep for myself? God promises to meet all your needs. That sounds too good to be true, right? God is going to meet all of my needs? Absolutely. God says, put me first. Be generous. Be open-handed, not clenched fist, and I will meet all of your needs. Philippians 4, 17 and 19. It's a church that the apostle Paul planted, and they supported his ministry, and they partnered with him financially. And so he, 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 he responds in writing this epistle, this letter, and it's really a thank you letter to the church that supported him. And he said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So when you give to God's work, there is fruit. Have you ever thought about that? Christ tells us in John 15, abide in the vine, abide in him. You'll bear much fruit. Well, here, here's, here's one aspect of the fruit, right? This, this fruit that's going to increase to your account when you give. And then he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So it's a thank you letter. And he's telling the church, he said, listen, I want you to understand, God will supply every need of yours. We know that God will supply our needs. God never promises to supply all of our greeds. That's one of the things that we search for, that we hunger for, we long for. We, we're, we're all to some degree, we're, we're greedy. And God says, listen, it's not about your greeds. I'm going to meet your needs because I am a rich God. I'm a big, rich, powerful, awesome God, and I can take care of your needs. When you give, it really is a reflection of, of faith in God's provision. As you're giving, you're trusting God. You're being dependent upon the Lord. You're not taking matters into your own hands. You're saying, okay, God, this is what I have. This is what I, this is, all of this is yours. I'm going to give a part of it back to you, and I'm trusting you. 
I'm trusting you. I'm trusting that you're going to provide, that you're going to channel your blessings in my life. You're going to take care of me. Here's point number three. Giving is a heart issue. Giving is a heart issue. Giving is not a money issue. It is a heart issue. Jesus said on one occasion, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve two masters. You know, materialism and greed is the sin of the eye. It blinds you. And it's very rare if you can detect this in your life. You know, I, I do counseling. I meet with people all the time. And, and, and uh, people will admit, you know, we're, we're having some marital problems. Um, people will admit Guys will admit, man, I'm struggling with lust. People will say, man, I'm, I'm struggling with, with anger or, or uh, forgiving someone that's hurt me in, in my childhood or, or maybe just recently in my adult life. But I have never, ever met with someone who said, Pastor Elijah, I'm struggling in the greedy department. I'm greedy and, and I'm materialistic and I, I just need help. I don't know what to do. I've never met anyone ever admit that and let's just be honest if God showed our human hearts right now if if our human hearts the sin of greed was exposed we'd all be in a lot of trouble this morning because it's there it's lodged in, in in all of our hearts to some degree how do you know if if your heart idol is greed do you have an excess concern or worry or love of money and possessions? Is it all you think about? See, Jesus said you can't be a slave to two masters. You can't be fully devoted to, to money and be fully devoted to me. One must rule and reign. One must have absolute power over your life. You know, it's okay to have money. You know, Abraham had money, Job had money. But the problem is when money has you. Whatever owns you is what you will serve. Theologian Zwingli said, if you possess something that you're not willing to part with, then you don't possess it. It possesses you. You know, I came across um, some research about mastering the skill of selection. And I found it very interesting. And the whole concept of mastering the skill of selection is to know what's important to do. What is important what, what is it that you should do in your life that's really important? And what is it that you should not do? How you spend your time, how you spend your money and your resources exhibits your values. So the question for all of us is, how are you spending your money? How are you spending it? How are you um, honoring God with your wealth? See, one of the things, when you become a Christ follower... You have to start discipling so many things in your life. And one of those things, you have to disciple the wealth, the money, the possessions that God has entrusted to your care. And that takes spiritual maturity. You have to disciple that. You have to surrender that to God. You have to give that to the Lord so it doesn't become an all-consuming heart idol. Where you spend your money reveals what you value the most. So where do you spend your money? Jesus said this about your money. Remember, he spoke more about money than any other topic. Matthew 6, 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But a lot of people, they get it backwards. They, they say, well, Jesus said where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. No. He says where your treasure is. What's treasure? 
Well, it could be a lot of things. We know treasure is, could be time, which is very, very valuable. We know treasure can be your talents, your skill sets, your abilities, um, spiritual gifts that God has given to you. Treasure could also be your money. So Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying, your treasure, no, he's saying your heart follows your treasure. Your heart follows the movement of your money. Wherever I put my time, my money, my effort, my energy, wherever I invest myself, that's where my heart is going to be. A lot of people, they invest their whole life into their work and their career. Some people, they invest their whole life into their family. Some people invest their whole life into a hobby. Some people invest their whole life in the local church. And and they have a passion for the gospel and they're serving people. The heart refers to the whole inner person. So when Jesus said, where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, the heart is the core of who you are. The heart is the seat of your emotions and your thinking and your volition, your, your will. So the question is, where does your treasure lie? Giving is a matter of the heart. This is what Jesus is saying. Giving is not a money issue, it's a heart issue. Where is your heart? Is your heart investing in things here that are visible, temporal, fleeting, or are you investing in the eternal? Are you investing in things that you cannot see, things that you cannot take with you when you die? Are you investing in that which is going to outlast every other thing here on earth? Identify your treasure, and then you'll know what you love the most. Identify your treasure, and then you'll know what you value the most. Show me where you invest your time, and I'll show you where your heart lies. Here's point number four. Giving honors God. Giving honors God. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Anybody got a barn or a vat this morning? Anybody, right? Okay, well, it was an agrarian society. Biblical context, agricultural society. Most were farmers. And barns and vats represented people's work and their business and their investments and their livelihood. Here's what God is saying. God is telling His people, I will bless your work. I will bless your business. I will bless your career. I will bless your investments and how you make a living if, and it's conditional, if you honor me. I mean, who doesn't want God to bless their work? Who doesn't want God to bless their business? So the principle is honor God and he will honor you. But there's a a premise and a promise in these verses. The premise is, Honor God with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The first fruits means first and last. So God doesn't want your leftovers. I was reading the other day, devotionally, in the book of Malachi. And uh, the end of chapter 1, 
beginning of chapter 2, last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, last living prophet to the nation of Israel. And, and God had some very strong things to say to his people. You know, I mean, I, I have these things against you. And he's pointing things out to the people, to the priests, the spiritual leaders. And one of the things he points out is, he said, listen, you are sacrificing, basically you're sacrificing blind, lame animals to me. You're giving me things that you wouldn't even give to the governor. And God is like, I mean, he's like, he's, he, he's basically, he's going to town on his people. And it just, it just made me think, yeah, it's, it's so many times in our lives, instead of giving God the best, giving God what, what costs us something, we give God leftovers. Well, I don't, I don't want that. That doesn't mean anything to me. So, you know, I'm just going to give that to God. But Proverbs is so clear. First fruits means first and best. The first fruits, this is another way of saying your tithes. Now, the word tithe means 10%. A lot of Christians think, well, no, no, tithe is just giving. No, in the Hebrew, it's 10%. That's what the word tithe means. You give God the first 10% of your income. The tithe comes right off the top. It's first place. It goes back to God. First fruits, first place. You give it to God, right? I say you give it back because he owns it all. Here's what leftovers look like. Leftovers is something like this. You go to work. You earn it. You bring the money home. You enjoy it. You spend it on yourself. You spend it on your family. You spend it on your hobbies. You repay debt. You pay bills. And then you try to save a little bit. And then after you save a little bit, then, oh, I got to give something to Jesus. That's leftovers. That's saying, God, you're not going to have my first fruits. You're not going to have my first and best. You're going to be last place. If I have some at the end, then I'm going to give it to you. That's really, why is it so quiet here this morning? I mean, it's like so quiet. No one says anything. I mean, does anyone understand what I'm saying? God doesn't, listen, God doesn't want your leftovers. Just like he told the church at Laodicea. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. God doesn't want leftovers. The order is all out of whack. You don't give from the bottom. You don't give if you have some leftover. You give from the top. And when you give from the top, you're saying, God, I trust you. You're saying, God, you own it. You're saying, um, this is a heart issue. It belongs to you. I'm, I'm worshiping you. I'm trusting you. I'm giving you my future. So we looked at the premise. Look, look at the promise in, in the verse. He says, you know, honor the Lord, and then your, your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. God says, listen, I will provide abundantly for you. You'll have more than enough. And that sounds like a great promise to me. Here's point number five. Giving displays the gospel. Giving displays the gospel. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Paul tells the church of Corinth, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Speaking of Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, I want, I want, I want to look at this verse real quick. So, we, we see Paul is telling us about the grace of Jesus. And what is the grace of Jesus? What is the un 
merited, undeserving grace of Jesus in this context. That he was rich, rich, he was in heaven. You know, experiencing Trinitarian intimacy and, and, and community. But yet for our sake, he became poor. That is in the aorist tense in the Greek, which means it's, it happened in the past. It's speaking of his incarnation. So at, at, a, at a moment in time, Christ who was rich emptied himself. He became poor, that's incarnation. He took upon flesh. And, and, and what was the purpose of all that? So that, this is what Paul is trying to logically get us to understand, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Jesus was rich, became poor for us so that we might be rich through him. I mean, that's the gospel. That, that is the gospel. He was enjoying eternal fellowship with God. The angels were worshiping him in glory. He became poor. He left the riches of heaven. He stepped into human history. He was born to a teenage girl and a working class construction worker. He was laid in a manger where animals laid. I mean, not a, not a bassinet that was fitted for a king, but a, but a manger, a dirty, stinky manger. He humbled himself by becoming a man and taking on flesh. He, he grew up in Nazareth. Wasn't, there was nothing prominent about Nazareth. No good thing came from Nazareth. He had brothers and sisters. He spent the first 30 years working a blue-collar job. He went into the ministry. He spent three years without a place to lay his head. He ate at people's homes. He started with a band of a few followers, 12 in all. Crowds and multitudes followed him. Eventually, he gave his life on a cross to pay our debt to God. And that's the good news of Christianity, that he paid a debt that you could never pay. You could never pay the debt, but he paid it for you. He took upon the punishment. He took upon the wrath. He absorbed God's wrath for you. And three days later, he rose again from the grave. The Spirit of God raised him back to life, and Jesus walked out of the tomb. And because of Christ conquering the grave and guilt and shame and hell and condemnation and, and sin and the enemy, he offers a generous relationship with, for you with God. Jesus became poor at the incarnation and ultimately at his death. But through his death and resurrection, we can be made right with God. So we need to see this model of the gospel, this good news, the generosity of, of Jesus. He's the greatest giver in the world. Radical generosity. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus was rich, became poor for our sake. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, that the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's one of my favorite verses. It's talking about he endured the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him? That joy is you. That joy is me. He endured the cross for you, for me. He died for you. He died for me. So that, I, I want you to stop and think about this. Who for the joy that was set before him? Speaking of you, that's how much God loves you. Jesus died for you. You're the treasure of his heart. And once you see that you're the treasure of his heart, 
He will become the treasure of your heart. Here's our last point. Giving is a faith step. I save this for the very end. And I want to challenge you this morning. I'm going to give you a challenge towards the end of the message, but this is a once a year type message. And I do it in January because this is the time to, it's kind of like we're kickstarting for the year. You know, I know a lot of people are like, okay, here we go. Let's, let's get some things in order. Let's think about spiritual disciplines. Let's think about life and the future. Well, here is an area where we all need to grow. Giving is a face step. What does Malachi tell us? Malachi 3, 7 to 11. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, have we robbed you in your tithes and and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. God is telling the people, return to me and I will return to you. There's so much beauty in that. God is pursuing a relationship with his people. Return to me, and I will return to you. God's not holding any grudges. He's not a bitter God. He's a forgiving God. He's willing to give second chances and third chances and a million chances. And the people say, well, how shall we return? God says, will men rob God? The word rob here means to mug, to oppress, to pillage, to plunder, to take by force. God is saying, you are robbing me. You are plundering my stuff. You are taking what belongs to me. And the people are saying, how in the world are we robbing you? You're the creator. How are we robbing you? God answers in your tithes and offerings. Why does God say that? Because he's the owner. They're not giving what rightfully belongs to God. They're not giving what is rightfully his in return as a statement of trust, as a statement of gratitude, as a statement of, listen, this is a hard issue and you're the owner, I'm the steward. God says, listen, you're robbing me in your lack of generosity, in your refusal to give back to what is rightfully mine. The word tithe simply means 10%. You know I, know, I know a lot of people, I don't have time. I've, I've, in previous messages, I've, I've walked through Old and New Testament and, and explained why tithing is, 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 is pre-law and all that stuff. We don't have time to do that today. But tithing is not a legalistic limit. Let me be so clear there. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. You need to hear this. This is so important. Because I think a lot of Christians, they're, they're, they, they know they're saved by grace, but deep down inside, they feel like they still got to do something. They still got to do something so that God will still show favor and God will still love them. Giving is not a legalistic thing. This, this, this has no bearing on your standing with God. This is not a salvation issue at all. 
you know, if, if I give, then I will be right with God. No. You can give all your money to God and go to hell if you don't know Jesus. That's the reality. Tithing is a baseline. It's a beginning. It's a rule of thumb. It's a good place to start. Someone said years ago, and I, I thought it was so good, tithing is the on-ramp to a life of generosity. You cannot fully be a generous person if you're not willing to give God what belongs to him. How can you say, I'm a generous person, when you're not even giving back to God what belongs to him? Tithing should not be seen as a, as a ceiling, but as a floor. It's a starting point. It's, it's really the on-ramp. God says 10% is mine, 90% is yours. Now, you might say, well, why does God ask for 10%? Beats me. God could have asked for 20, 30, 50. He could have said, I want 90, and you keep 10. If you think about it like that, God's gracious, amen? He just wants 10. Church, he just wants 10. He could have said, give me 90. You're going you're to live on 10. I don't, I, don't, I don't know why God said, give me just 10. Because the reality is, it all belongs to him. Who cares about the 10? 100% belongs to him. Where you're at today is because of the grace of God. That good godly spouse that, 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 that you met, that you love, that, that you're committed to, that's the grace of God. Every blessing is from above. Every good, perfect gift you have in your life is the grace of God. Let me be clear here. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. You know, a lot of a lot of like prosperity guys, they, they like, man, they talk about, you know, if you give, if you give, then, you, you know, I'll be able to buy a private jet plane and, you know, all these things. It's, it's self-centered. It's not about the gospel. It's not about Jesus. It's about them. God doesn't need your money because the entire universe belongs to him. And, and at the end of the age, he's going to have his way with the universe, He's either going to renew it or he's going to obliterate it and he's going to start over. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to enjoy his presence and his goodness and his glory and his holiness for all eternity. And don't you want to stand before God saying, God, I, I honored you. I honored you. I gave. I honored you. I gave for the kingdom. Because what you have now will belong to somebody else. Your treasures, and let me say this, your junk will belong to somebody else someday. Here's the deal. It's not wrong to plan. It's not wrong to save. It's not wrong to invest. Those are good things. Having money is not wrong. It's not sinful. It's, it's amoral. It's neutral. But when money has such a stronghold on your life, when you're unwilling to give back to God what rightfully belongs to him, that's where the problem lies. Why should we give? I want you to think about this real quick. We are the children of God. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you're a child of God. He wants you to be like him. God, God wants you to be like him. You know, I got four kids. And me and Candace, we're trying to model things in front of our kids. We're trying to, you know, pass down the baton of faith. We're trying to pass down our values, our worldview. We're, we're trying to mimic and model things. And that's what God's doing in, in our lives. Through the word. 
through community, through a family. He's saying, I want you to be like me. I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to pass down the values. So grab hold of it. Anchor your life to the word. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The storehouse, food in my house. This is an act of worship in the house of worship. Let me say one thing real quick. We're going we're gonna to end like very, very quickly. Charity is not tithing. Giving to charity is above the tithe. It's called the offering. God says, I want you to test me. This is the only time in the Bible where you can prove that God exists. God's like, give me 10% of your income and watch how I'll bless your life. Now, God is not a pinata. If I take this stick called tithing, and I hit the pinata as hard as I can. God's going to give me all of the goodies and all of the blessings. A lot of people look at God as, you know, he's, he's like some genie. And he's going to pop out and, and he's going to grant you three wishes. The prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel, says treat God like a pinata. Treat God like a genie. If you give God a hundred, he's going to bless you and give you a thousand. The Bible doesn't say that. God's saying, test me. Will I not open the windows of heaven? And pour down blessings. What are those blessings? We don't know. Could some of those blessings be financial? Maybe. They could be spiritual. There could be blessings that we're not even aware of. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. You know, where where God is there to, to solely bless your life. That God just wants you wealthy and healthy and happy. No, I believe in generous theology. You We give, you give because we're madly in love with Christ. And we believe the gospel. We're a part of a kingdom. And we believe our life is forever. And so we're going to invest in things that are going to outlast us. And so I guess the question is, do do you believe this? You know, when it comes to things in the Bible, you only believe the parts of the Bible that you actually live out. God is not concerned with how much you know. He's more concerned with what you do with what you know. Are you living out the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Are you obeying the gospel? You see, when it comes to giving, you have two options. You can give by reason or revelation. Reason, people who give by reason, they look at their bank account and they say, well, what can I afford to give? And that requires no faith at all. You know, it's weighed down with all your needs at once. But when you give by revelation, you say, okay, God, how much do you want to give through me? And that requires faith. That is a test of faith. Here's what I want you to do. I got a challenge for you this morning. I challenge you once a year, every year. I want you to pull this out of your bulletin. It's a little card that says God's guarantee. Pull it out of your bulletin if you have it on you. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to reaffirm our commitment to God's promises about giving. Okay? For most of us, this is going to be a reaffirmation of our trust in God. But for some of you, this next moment may be one of the greatest 
decisions in your life outside of trusting Christ. Before I read this card, I want you to take this card home. I don't want you to turn this card into the offering box. I want you to take this card home, and I want this card to be a reminder to you of your commitment today. Everyone's got the card? Okay. This is a reminder that you're trusting God and that you're trusting that he's going to take care of you. Here's what the card says. Malachi 3.10, and then it says, because he is the source of all I have, I accept God's tithe challenge to give him back the first 10% of all he gives me as I trust him to bless my faith in his promises. I know for some of you, you might be scared to death. You know, you're, you're already thinking about your finances. You're already thinking, how can I do this? And how can I honor the Lord? Trust me. God says, put me to the test. I'll pour out my blessings in your life. Giving is a faith step. You take that faith step toward God. You trust God. You give him your heart. You give him your finances. You give him your life. And I'm telling you, he's going to blow your mind. There's a connection card in your bulletin I want you to pull out. Pull out the connection card. And on the back side of the connection card, you're going to see a little area that says next steps. Okay, The word next steps on the back of the connection card towards the bottom. Here's, here's my challenge for you. If you want to take the challenge, it's your call. If you're already tithing, I want you to write the word continue. If you're already tithing, I want you to write the word continue. Maybe you've stopped tithing or you've never tithed ever in your life. But, but you've known for a long time that you need to, and today you're being challenged to, to take up that spiritual discipline, and you're going to start today. You're willing, to, okay, God, I'm going all in. I'm going to do this. I want you to write the word start next to next steps, and I want you to take that connection card at the end of the service, and I want, to, I want you to drop it in the offering box up against that wall. I want you to take this home, God's guarantee, this little challenge. I want you to take this home, and I want this to be a reminder to you. When you're having moments of fear, when you're having moments of uh, fear about the future, will God provide, will he be faithful, you just remind yourself, God is good, God is on my side, God will never leave me nor forsake me, he's always been there, he will always be there for me. And if you take your connection card, drop it in the offering box, I want to pray for you by name this week. Because I believe that the enemy is going to come at you this week, big time. If you, you make this spiritual commitment, the devil is going to come after you. But it's a way for you to say, I trust God. God is the owner. It's a matter of the heart. It displays the gospel. And I want to invest in things that are going to outlast me when I die. Let's pray.